Welcome back to Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM. Soundboard also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. This week on Soundboard, we bring you more coronavirus coverage from the safe social distance of my apartment, Billy's apartment, and Charlotte's apartment. And stay tuned for a short feature from the Virginia Public Radio on how COVID-19 is impacting incarcerated people in Central Virginia. I haven't seen you all in so long. How are you doing? Adjusting to the new normal. Spending a lot of time on my patio, working out there to enjoy the weather when it's nice. I have gone out a few times with Mike to take photos for our site, but otherwise pretty much at home. Doing our part for the social distancing to flatten the curve. So I asked Elliot this in our last show, but everything has changed so quickly in the past two weeks. Can you all tell me about a moment or something you saw this week that really struck you? Outside of reporting, when I try to go on a walk or a jog or a run on a nature trail a couple times a week just to not be so stir crazy at home, when I encounter other runners or families, we all have this like unspoken communication where we each figure out who's stepping aside and give each other space, the about six feet to walk by. The hard part is not petting dogs because that's usually what I do on nature trails, pet everyone's dogs. So yesterday I went for a run and then the downtown mall was just like very, very empty. I feel like right now I'm seeing the reality because I have not been out in a while. Yeah, everything's desolate. (laughs) It is. I haven't gone to the grocery store that much, but when I do go to grocery stores, I thank the grocery store employees for their service because right now it's scary. Some stores have screens up and some employees are wearing gloves, but they're one of many heroes right now. Yes, yes. I am also thankful they're putting their you know lives out on the front line and still serving people. So I am thankful for these people. Let's talk about COVID-19 in our area specifically. Can you just give us an update about how many cases there are and how the hospitals are preparing? Yes. The Virginia Department of Health updates their website. It used to be at noon every day. They've shifted to 9 a.m. So the most recent numbers for our area, which is the Thomas Jefferson Health District, which is Albemarle, Charlottesville, Fluvanna, Green, Louisa, and Nelson. We have 63 cases in this district. 26 of those are in Albemarle and 17 of those are in Charlottesville. Given these are the most populated parts of the Thomas Jefferson Health District, it's not surprising the numbers are higher. And then in terms of hospitals preparing, I've spoken with UVA and Martha Jefferson, and you couldn't just ask how many beds do you have? I felt like it was important to ask how many beds could you have? What are your innovative solutions to expand your coverage area if we hit a peak? Like, officials in Governor Northam are expecting within the next few weeks. And UVA currently has 612 beds and Martha Jefferson has 176. UVA is getting a shipment of beds every week. They're going to be expanding. Martha Jefferson has set up a potential triage tent and they're looking inside their hospital where they can add space. The hospitals are making sure that they're prepared to take on an overload of patients and divert non-COVID patients into separate areas. Some COVID cases, people can quarantine at home and be all right, but they want to make sure that they have equipment and beds available for the really, really critical cases. Is this area likely to run out of ventilators? I don't have answers for that just yet, but they are giving me the information they can. They're also telling me where numbers are changing rapidly. 
The governor's been talking a lot about how difficult it is to get personal protective equipment. Does UVA Hospital and Martha Jefferson have enough of that stuff like gloves and masks and gowns right now? Um, I'm hoping to get specifics on that information, but I do know that recently some UVA doctors, along with other doctors in the state, sent an open letter to Northam asking for more supplies. They worked with Support Seville, which is a resource site that was launched recently, calling for, you know, closed schools and businesses that might have equipment, protective gear or sanitizer to donate it. So all hands on deck from a federal and local government and state government standpoint, but also from a community charitable efforts, trying to make sure that there's enough equipment for the people who are on the front lines treating. What do we know about the economic impact so far? I've been reporting on how small local businesses have been impacted since day one because so much of Charlottesville is small businesses, ranging from retail to restaurants to also I did an article recently on farmers, uh, local farms. A lot of small businesses operate with narrow margins, very little upfront cash. So having to partially or temporarily close or at least lose customers during this time really impacts the business and its chances of survival, you know, when we all get through this. But it also impacts the different layers of the employees who work for these businesses. I was speaking with someone who was laid off from a local restaurant on March 16th, and he's very concerned about paying rents, getting his own food. He has filed for state unemployment, and it will receive $219 per week, which is not anywhere close to enough to what he needs. The good news is with the federal stimulus package, he could get an additional 600 through the federal unemployment during this time. So yeah, you've got the top of the business taking a hit. You've got the middle. You've got the bottom. Every layer of each business is really feeling it right now. And we're all community members, so it's it's everyone in town right now is feeling it in some way or another. And some of us are hit more financially than others. There's a story that I did just recently. I took a look at the childcare system and how this will affect them long term. So experts are telling me that some of these childcare providers, they're going to lose money and they might not be able to get back to normal once this is all over. Experts are saying that that could lead to a shortage of childcare providers in our area. Between education, childcare, and businesses, Everyone's kind of really stressed right now, so everyone's coming together. There's a lot of grants. There's a lot of nonprofits that are stepping up. There's a lot of donations and GoFundMes. Everyone's really trying to rally together and support each other. Yes, yes. In talking with experts, the people who have been affected uh, the most by this have been people who are working in the service industry, including people working in hotels, restaurants, and things like this. And right now, given that it's spring going into summer, we're entering peak tourism season and we're also entering the bolstering to local businesses that happens when UVA holds its graduation and more people come from out of town to watch their kid, their relative graduate, and then they go to restaurants, they stay in hotels, they go tour some historical sites, they go on hikes, all kinds of things. So the hospitality industry and the tourism industry is definitely taking a hit at this moment. And looking at UVA, they've also had to lay off a lot of contract workers. Mm-hmm. Do you yes. know? Do you all know how many contract workers were laid off from UVA? Not at the moment, but I do know that super engaged resident Ziana Bryant has been one of many um, UVA students and people just associated with UVA that have been calling for helping those who have been affected out. So this is a place where a lot of people were already overburdened when it came to the cost for their housing. Are people likely to lose their housing? Right now, 
there's been a moratorium on evictions, at least for the next few weeks, but I don't see why that wouldn't extend because we are still declared a state of emergency. There is still a pandemic and we are still under Northam's executive order until June 10th at the earliest, possibly. So there, there are some rights for the average renter. Your landlord cannot evict you right now. They can't start the proceedings to evict you. They can't try to work around the court system to evict you. Many landlords and property companies have reached out to their residents and said, like, if you can pay rent on time, do it. But if you're financially impacted by what's been happening, let us know as soon as possible so we can talk about payment plans. And it's still a little unclear on what those will look like or if rent is waived in the meantime for certain residents, will they have a lot of back payments and interest going forward? So those are some details that property management and landlords are still figuring out because they're a small business as well. So next up, could you all tell us about a couple of the many, many articles that you've been publishing, one or two that's been really interesting or surprising to you? So from the education perspective, I've been doing a lot of stories involving what teachers are doing around virtual learning. The divisions are laying out more plans to continue with the learning environment. So at the elementary school level, they're using Seesaw, which is an educational platform where teachers are posting videos or any activities. The activities are not graded. Uh, teacher feedback is provided to the children. Additionally, speaking from the county perspective, I had the chance to talk to the spokesperson. There are concerns about how these resources are being allocated people who might speak a language other than English at home, how are they going to be able to like explain it to their children? So the county told me about their plans to have communications between parents, students, and teachers to be multilingual so that the learning can continue. There's been a lot of talk about how schools provide a lot more than education, they're a source of nutrition and a point at which people can get social services for the whole family. How have the local schools tried to meet needs of families who are suddenly in a tough situation? That was a concern. But how are these low-income families who rely on reduced price lunch or free lunch will get food for their children? And so... Both counties have been providing breakfast as well as lunch for low-income families. Additionally, both the city schools as well as the county schools, they have been providing computer devices for students who might not have access to devices, as well as Wi-Fi hotspots for, you know, these children who do not have access to high-speed internet at home so that they can access assignments online. Yeah, and before all this, broadband was an issue in certain parts of the county in terms of education. So this is a really helpful thing that Billy's talking about. Before you mention your article on early childhood education, anything you want to add on that? A big conversation right now has been when the governor announced plans to close businesses and schools, non-essential places. There are workers who are essential workers, and they still have to. These workers, they also have children. And so if we do have a, a shortage of child care here locally, how they will address that situation. We have, you know, stories in the works for how this has affected seniors. 
actually one of our freelancers right now is um, graduating from UVA and um, in the midst of helping us with coverage, she is also trying to finish her capstone project, get her degree and figure out what her next steps are with work. This is a very challenging time to graduate high school or college. All right, Charlotte, can you tell us a little bit about a couple of the articles you've been working on? So obviously at the beginning of this conversation, it was a lot of me just going because a lot of my coverage has <laughs> been public health, quick updates, making sure I've made contact with different uh, government and uh, public health officials. So I've been able to feed information for Elliot to help keep the main landing page updated with resources. And then I guess I've been covering financial economic impacts since day one. I've also been covering a lot of nonprofits and grants and funding opportunities and volunteer groups. I am going to start working on some climate cuts because I am the government climate land use reporter. One thing I wanted to focus on was really constructive solutions journalism. That's something that our newsroom tends to prioritize. And certainly COVID-19 gives us a million different solutions, constructive stories to pursue. And some of them are very heartwarming. Like I did one recently about how the very day that this all started, um, CACF started a community emergency relief fund. And within a week, it raised more than $2 million. And it has now collaborated with a lot of other nonprofits and volunteer groups in town to set up ways that people can seek money for things if they need it right away. So there's a number that you can call 434-234-4490 Monday through Friday between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. and get connected with an emergency fund disbursement for if you need groceries, if you need to pay rents, especially if, like I mentioned earlier, the people who have been laid off in the midst of this. A lot of people are really stepping up to take care of each other. Seville Community Cares is doing grocery and prescription delivery for people who absolutely should not go out of their homes. There's ways that you can join that network and be a volunteer if you're healthy and able. And then there's ways to continue donating to the emergency relief fund. A lot of what I've been covering too, like it's a lot of public health updates, business updates. The Charlottesville Free Clinic is open um, for non-emergency cases, really trying to make sure that unless you're fearful that you're showing symptoms of COVID or you have a severe emergency, try not to go to the hospital to not overrun that. And the Charlottesville Free Clinic is also helpful for people who don't have medical insurance. Billy and I are actually teaming up for a story on how nonprofits are doing during all of this because Charlottesville area, we have a lot of nonprofits. Our newsroom is one of them. We're all dedicated to serving the community in distinct and sometimes similar and overlapping ways. But also this is a time right now where Everyone is taking some bit of financial hit and worry, and everyone's trying to pull together and help each other. And so times like these, nonprofits are more important than ever, but also times like these, everyone's purse is kind of running low. So um, Billy and I are going to be checking in with a lot of other nonprofits and kind of just in the same way we've been reporting on how average everyday citizens and businesses are changing their workflow, changing their new normal, changing how they operate during these times where everyone needs to social distance, just checking in with these nonprofits too on what's changed for you. How are you adapting and evolving to this new normal that everyone is facing? Can you all tell us a little bit about what it's been like to report during something like this? I think for me, it has been a lot of like time management. Uh, as reporters, we have worked remotely before, but it's been a combination from like going to the newsroom, going on assignments and, you know, do our job. I had to adjust to the whole fully reporting remotely. It's been on the phone, talking to people on the phone. Uh, in terms of like sources, I have been, you know, trying to just like use 
the people I already know and sort of like ask them to put me in contact with other sources. We're surviving. <laughs> I will say, just echoing what Billy said, adjusting. We've worked from home before, but of course there's days where working from home is a blessing and then sometimes you can't focus and you need to get your butt to the office. So it's just been adjusting our mindset and our game plan as we stay focused at home. There are perks to it. Like, you know, Billy's been able to spend more time with his roommates. I've been able to spend more time with my new roommate, my partner, <laughs> and our cat. But I will say that reporting during all of this, I don't know. I've always been a really, really empathetic card on my sleeve person, but I feel like I care so much about everyone I talk to and I check in on everyone, how they're doing. At some point during the call, I am always like, let's go off record for a second. How are you handling this? Are you okay? I just feel like journalists, we are community servants, we are public servants, but I, I feel like even more connected to the community, even though we're all at least six feet apart. What have you all been doing to take care of yourselves? For me, it's been mostly going out on a run kind of stuff. Like I'm a big, uh, I'm a gym rat, if I should say. I like going to the gym, like all the time kind of thing. But like the gyms are closed. So <laughs> I have been running a lot, uh, you know, to take care of myself. I have been, you know, sometimes watching a show uh, on Netflix because it cannot be, you know, work, work, work. You, you actually have to, like, step away so that, you know, you don't go crazy. This is already a very, you know, crazy time. I do live away from family. My family is in Florida, so sometimes I'll just, like, call, check on my family. We video chat and check on each other. These kind of things. And on, you know, on Sunday, it's, you know, it's my birthday. Uh, I am 15 years young. I am not old. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a very untraditional birthday. But um, you know what? I am grateful that I still have a job and I still have shelter. So I am grateful for all the little things. Yeah, I guess uh, Billy and I both are very into exercise as a form of therapy. <laughs> now that it's spring, I'm so excited about the, the budding plants and the warmer weather. So I've tried to take walks or runs a couple times a week. There are days where I've spent 10 to 12 hours sitting at the kitchen table working. And if my partner weren't cooking meals, I probably wouldn't have had food. But then there are times I remind myself to step back, take a bubble bath, have a glass of wine, play some board games, card games, something. I'm just glad that, for me at least, I'm spending this time with people I care about. I check in with my parents. I call my family and my best friends that are all over the country. Military life, they're everywhere. And then also having our newsroom. I really miss us being able to interact in person, but our morning video calls, you know, it's a mix of work, but it's also nice to see everyone's face and check in. I've been doing a lot of bad watercolors. <laughs> Ooh. I really don't know how to paint, but they're fun and colorful. <laughs> Some people say you come out of this with a new skill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd call this a skill. <laughs> yeah. Well, it has been so lovely to hear your voices. Nice. It's nice to hear yours, like, too, and I can't wait yeah. till we can hang out when this is all over. Seriously. Yes, likewise, Mary. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I know y'all are crazy busy. so. Oh, no problem. It's our Thank pleasure. you, and you're welcome as well. Charlotte Renee Woods and Billy Jean-Louis are reporters for Charlottesville Tomorrow. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. 
Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center. During these challenging times, the Southern Environmental Law Center is remaining strong and resolute in protecting the fundamental right to clean air and clean water and a healthy environment for all. Our next segment is brought to you by the Virginia Public Radio. Three inmates at the Virginia Correctional Center for Women have tested positive for the novel coronavirus, along with a contractor at the prison in Goochland. A guard at the Indian Creek Correctional Center also has the disease, and prisoners around the state are worried, as Sandy Houseman reports. Wallens Ridge is a supermax prison in Big Stone Gap, where 1,200 men are locked up. Among them is 51-year-old Kenneth Newkirk, who says he and other inmates are alarmed. Yeah, we nervous, we scared. If the coronavirus are coming here, there's nothing that we can do, nowhere we can go. We're forced to stay in a cell with someone else. If someone next door got the coronavirus, we're going to get it. We're going to be left to die in here. The number one risk he and others see is staff bringing coronavirus in, even before they know they're sick. At Buckingham, inmate Tim Wright thinks prison guards, like inmates, should be locked down. They're still going home to their families. So if their family goes shopping, if they live in communities that have this, they could easily contract this and then bring it in here. He notes that some prisons have barracks where guards could stay during natural disasters or emergencies. The state says it's screening staff for COVID symptoms, but it's not clear how well that's working. At one prison in Goochland, a nurse became the first prison employee diagnosed with COVID-19. And Shannon Ellis, an attorney with the Legal Aid Justice Center, says she's especially worried about the Fluvanna Correctional Center for women. We're hearing reports that last week there was a guard with a fever who was allowed to remain in the prison working near prisoners, some of whom are high risk, for at least several hours. And also that there have been prisoners who have returned from outside appointments and developed fevers, but not been isolated and quarantined. And because it's designated as the prison where incarcerated women with medical problems are sent, Fluvanna is especially vulnerable. The situation has prompted calls for early release of inmates who pose no risk to the public, and many jails are doing just that. At the Middle River Regional Jail in Augusta County, Superintendent Jeff Newton says he sent about 100 people home. Some folks have been placed on house arrest. Some folks have had their bond adjusted so that they could make the bond. Probably a smaller percentage of folks have had their sentence suspended for a period of time or modified so that they could get out. That's freed up space to isolate anyone diagnosed with or suspected of having COVID-19. But Newton says the jail can't possibly assure social distancing for everyone. Yeah, it's next to impossible in housing offenders, uh, especially in a facility that's designed for 396, and today I've got 800. The man who oversees state prisons, Brian Moran, says the parole board is working around the clock, reviewing cases of those who could be released. By the code, we have no parole in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It is limited to geriatric release and limited to those who were sentenced before 1996. Additionally, by Constitution, the victims need to be notified. And there's another possible impediment. We're not going to release somebody unless they have a home health plan. It would be inhumane to them. And frankly, they're getting a lot of health care in these facilities. Critics like inmates Newkirk and Wright scoff at that claim. I wouldn't have a lot of faith or hope in the life-saving capabilities of this institution. The medical here is, is sorry, it's bad. 
And Attorney Ellis says Fluvanna has been under federal court order for the last four years to improve the unconstitutional quality of medical care at that prison. I'm Sandy Hausman. That does it for this week's edition of Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. If you have any concerns or questions about the coronavirus in our area, tweet us at CVL Soundboard. My name's Mary Garner McGee. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Marin Alasco and Jay Pun. This is Soundboard. Catch us at CVLSoundboard.org. <laughs>